Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us from preschool to teen. This is the show where we help you feel better about the mom you are and share our own parenting tips and personal stories. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 141 of the Mom Hour. This is a very special Friday episode, and we're really excited to have you guys listening today and for the interview that Megan and I are going to set up in just a minute. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite Factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your uptown loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. 
I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. So we're excited about our interview today because it's with, um, it's with a dad blogger, and we don't often get to talk to dads. Not only do we not talk to dads very often, we really haven't tackled a lot of dad topics. And I'm really excited for um, the conversation you guys are about to hear. So one of the things that we wanted to talk about with wit was dad stereotypes. Megan, you and I have been around the blogging world a long time. Um, We, of course, identify with mom bloggers and women who write about the experience of motherhood. But sometimes an unfortunate side thing that happens is that dads are either sort of left out of the conversation or in a lot of cases kind of lumped into these really terrible stereotypes like the hapless clueless dad or the dad who's not showing up for his kids or you know the dad who can't figure out like how to button up a onesie and sometimes it's meant in fun and to sort of like I don't know build camaraderie with other moms but I think you and I really both think that's baloney um, and thinks dads deserve more. That's so true. And um, Whit Honey is actually our guest today. He's the author of the Parents Phrase Book and an activist, which I love about him. He's co-founder of Dads for Change, which is an organization dedicated to progressive parenting. He writes for like everybody and has been around forever and is an all around great guy and is also very much all about dads being involved and busting up those stereotypes. So really excited about his interview. Yeah. And so um, the combination of our work with responsibility.org and WIT's work with them, the conversation you're going to hear is really about all of the above. We talked to WIT about um, addressing those stereotypes and sort of giving dads a voice. And if they are feeling lumped into those categories, how to stick up for dads, how to not really stand for that kind of really potentially limiting assumptions we make about the role of dads. And then we really go into the importance of some of these tough conversations about alcohol, about, um, you know, safety and kids growing up and how important it is for dads to be a part of those conversations, the way dads, some dads might handle those conversations differently than moms and and how we can support each other as parents and co-parents. And yeah, it was a great conversation. So should we get right to it? Let's do it. Hey, Wit, Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hello. Thanks for having me. We're so excited that you're here. And we are going to talk about busting up some dad stereotypes, which I'm really excited about. We haven't really had a dad blogger on our show. We've had a couple men on our show, but I'm really excited for this conversation. So Megan, do you want to kick this off? Sure. Well, I'm really excited that we're going to have um, Responsibility.org back as a sponsor. Um, I have worked with Responsibility.org and their Talk Early campaign now for several years, and they were one of our very first sponsors. And what's really great about um, the organization is that they're really all about encouraging conversations with our kids. So specifically around alcohol responsibility, but going deeper than that, just the difficult conversations and the importance of having them, having them frequently and 
and not necessarily like that big uncomfortable talk, but just making those conversations part of part of our lives. So I'm really glad that we're going to have Wit on the show today and that we're talking about just dad stereotypes and busting those and dads having those tough conversations with their kids and all kinds of stuff, dad. So, hey, Wit, we're just so glad to have you. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Wit, I'd like to lead off with a question that kind of sets the tone for the whole interview, I think, and that is, what dad stereotypes have you encountered? And, and I'm especially curious what's changed. You've been writing about fatherhood for a while. So what's changed since you started writing about fatherhood? You know, I, I don't understand stereotypes, first of all. Here, I, let me just open with a tangent about stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, they're such a weird thing, right? Saying someone does this or that because they're this or that, you know, and everybody right. is this collection of parts, whether it's our gender, ethnicity, age, nationality, uh, you know, religion, sexuality, ability, whatever. Uh, so by the time you get to that dad label, it's like the Venn diagram of identity is basically a kaleidoscope, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, so, you know, we sure do love them, love our stereotypes. So to answer your question, I guess dads are pretty, pretty often you see dads portrayed as these dumb, bumbling, incapable you know, of a simple task, immature, big child, irresponsible sort of thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. Or, or even worse, uh, they're distant and uninterested, you know, like emotionally unavailable and, and, uh, and then they're brutally hard on their kids. Right. And so I feel like we see those stereotypes primarily in, in pop culture, TV and yeah. movies. And over the past decade, as you said, I've been doing this a while. I started, uh, when my first was born, and he's 14 now. So over the past uh, you know, decade plus, I, I feel like we've seen a real shift toward dads that are multidimensional, and they're mm-hmm. you know, hands-on and deeply involved in, in all aspects of parenting, from changing diapers to, to the tough talks and you know, everything that goes with that. So in my opinion, the pop culture is starting to catch up to reality, whether mm. it's a stay-at-home dad, folding laundry with his kids or a, a dad in a airport in Cairo reading a bedtime story to his kid in Tucson. Yeah. You know, the, so the strength of being emotionally invested and the rewards thereof, I think uh, portraying a much more honest picture of fatherhood, which is awesome because that actually shapes new realities for future generations. You know, it's all circular. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, it's funny how those, those, uh, I guess, cultural preferences change too over time, how things that were funny, like in a 90s sitcom just aren't funny anymore. <laughs> they really never were, but people would laugh at them anyway, <laughs> you know, and now it's, it's completely changed. I remember when I first started, uh, you know, blogging as a dad and, you know, that, that, that wasn't a, there weren't labels for any of that. You're just a, a parent who happened to blog. But I remember making a, a couple of Mr. Mom references, and that's how mm. I knew that there were other dads doing it because I got taken behind the woodshed for my Mr. Mom <laughs> references. <laughs> we all have to learn somehow, you know? Well, yeah. yeah, and the, some of these are just so deeply entrenched. And I, I'm, I think it's really encouraging that you say you're seeing a shift. I think it's got to be a slow change because I, I think a lot of that is still out there, unfortunately. Even if we know individual dads doing all the things you say, Wit, the, that, um, the labeling and the stereotyping is pretty pervasive. I, I want to bring up something that's maybe a little bit delicate, but that is that I think moms sometimes contribute to this, including moms on social media, 
um, and in blogging and who have a platform. And maybe it's unintentional, but I think sometimes um, either because it's funny or because we're looking for a shared experience of, oh man, like my husband dressed to the toddler today, like look what he's wearing to daycare. I think sometimes we, we unknowingly or knowingly contribute to that. And I'm curious if this is something also that you've observed or even in individual partnerships, if there's things moms are, are doing that's really reinforcing those stereotypes instead of letting dads be who they are. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. And what's interesting is that conversely, things that dads put out there that do well and then possibly go viral are things that are just them combing their daughter's hair or something like that, which right. uh, mm. it's, it's fantastic. I, I have friends who I, I sure we, we all know who have had that uh, experience and that's, it's wonderful and I'm happy for them, but really they're just doing what a dad does, right, right. you know, and for it to be treated as some novelty. I, I think the thing that rubs people the wrong way uh, in that regard, and this is primarily online because I think jokes are easier to recognize, you know, in person. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, the reinforcement of those stereotypes that we were talking about a moment ago, where the biggest offender is probably uh, insinuating that a partner is, is useless, right? Mm. And so for a, like a mom, you know, everyone knows that this mom has two kids and she says, oh, I have three kids, implying yeah. that the dad is one of them. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm sure that it's meant, uh, you know, maybe that their, their husband or boyfriend or whatever is, you know, silly and fun or and playful. Uh, not necessarily. Uh... Mm, I don't know that that's what they mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm, I'm trying to be nice about it. Yeah. I just fielded that comment at a party the other day. And uh, believe me, that was not how it was meant. It's still, it's, pre- it's pretty yeah. out there. Yeah. yeah. So the gut reaction is like, well, why'd you marry somebody yeah, like right. that? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I could totally see that. And do you, I mean, just speaking of hearing those, you know, I feel like in a, I'm in a place where I could say something to another mom and just be like, well, you know, and, and kind of gently direct the conversation back the way I kind of would rather hear it go when talking about a dad. But I can see it being a little harder for you, um, Wit, in that situation because almost because you would feel like you were, I don't know, um, not validating the mom's experience or or whatever. So I'm wondering if you found ways to address those comments or in any of your writing for talk early, if you've been able to kind of, if it's, if it's created conversations or interesting, you know, comments or eye-opening comments from dads or moms about those kinds of stereotypes and actually how to tackle them head on with, but still understanding that it is so deeply ingrained. Uh, certainly. And yeah, I, I think the first thing, as, as you saw in my last answer, I, I try to be as nice about it as possible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and listen, that's always important. That's the, that's the part of talking that people seem to forget is the listening part, right? Uh, but I just keep doing my thing. And so there's this saying, which I, I would love to know who coined it. But every time I look it up, it's just uh, like Mark Twain pinned it to his Pinterest board. Uh, <laughs> but it's, but it's, it's not, none of my business what other people think about me. Yeah. And yeah. I, spent, I spent a lot of my life trying to, you know, various levels of, of success. Uh, lived to that because I figure whatever lens that other people may view me, you know, they're coming from their own unique place and mm. they're, they're going somewhere else that I'm not. So it's like, why should our crossroads ruin my day? Right. Uh, but, you know, as first of all, you got to have a sense of humor. Uh, that'd be the main thing. And then, you know, maybe a, a silo full of salt grains. <laughs> but when I do address the comments, uh, the thing that happens more often than not 
And it, this usually happens like in the supermarket checkout because uh, I, I'm not sure why. That's, you'll, you'll spend that whole time in the store and never acknowledge anyone else. But when you check out, everybody's, you know, chummy. Yeah, uh, right. And it's usually, and, and here's, here's me adding my log to the stereotype fire. Uh, it's usually, <laughs> <laughs> you know, strangers of an age. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they'll say things about, oh, it's daddy's day or right. daddy is babysitting. And mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that's a pretty easy conversation to jump into because obviously uh, I'd like to think it's coming from uh, their own memories and thoughts about parenting and this antiquated idea of fatherhood that when they see a man who is just happily confronting their understanding of what a dad is, it's this delightful novelty. You know, so they, right, like they commenting. think it's a positive comment. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, you know, it's, it's easy to say something like, well, you know, every day is daddy's day or yeah. I'm not babysitting on their dad. That's what dads do. But you can do it in such a way that uh, maybe have a little bit of conversation. And if that doesn't work, then you just, you know, ram them with your cart. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually my first choice. Just ram yeah. them with the cart first and ask questions later. <laughs> you know, I, I, exactly. And I, to your point about the talk early post. Uh, so there was a post I wrote in June when they sent out some information about uh, comparing the percentage of dads that talk about alcohol with their kids to the number of moms. Mm. And the numbers were strikingly low for everyone, but the dads especially came off looking pretty bad. And it kind of surprised me because that's not my experience. Mm. Uh, so I decided that maybe I was living in this, uh, you know, this online fatherhood community, which by just merely existing shows how involved these guys are, right? right so maybe right. I'm living in this bubble. So I decided to have those conversations with my peers in the real world, quote mm-hmm. unquote. And so whenever we'd go, you know, I'd take the boys to the park or the library and we'd see other dads, which right there is another stereotype, right? About dads being out and our streets are full of dads walking kids to school and stuff. So we'd have conversations about it. And I think most of them were as surprised as I was because everybody thinks that they're doing, uh, doing right by that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that there's a lot of assumption, which is my biggest takeaway from that, uh, the information that responsibility.org uh, shared with us was that dads seem to build up upon this uh, assumption. You know, we're, we're applying common sense to an, about drinking to an audience that has no context for mm-hmm. that. And I know that I'm guilty of that as well, because I, you just assume some things are known right. and, mm-hmm. and maybe we're not digging deep enough or, or starting far enough back. So there, there yeah. there's, Chapter well, three. and <laughs> not only are, are the dads in your community online um, involved, but they're also by nature of what they do communicators. Right. So that but dads and moms, you know, in this space. So that adds another layer of sort of we're not necessarily the norm. Right. Your sample, <laughs> your sample is not necessarily a representative sample. Right. Um, that's really interesting. So I want to shift a little bit. And your kids are your boys are 11 and 14, you said, right? Yes. So we have a lot of listeners of our show and Megan and I both have kids. None of us has babies anymore. My youngest is about to turn five and that's the youngest of our combined kids. But in our listener community listening to this right now, we have a lot of new parents, a lot. Um, And they come to this show, I think, in part to see glimpses of what's ahead. So I'm excited that the moms listening to this show get to hear a conversation about having tough conversations about alcohol, even if that conversation for them is several years down the road. So I want to kind of go back in time. And can you just tell us about just how you transitioned into your role as a dad and, and 
kind of what that's like for dads as they come into this role. And I don't mean just like the first week with a newborn at home, but it really takes time, at least Megan and I have found, to settle into your role as a parent and figure out what parent, what kind of parent you want to be. So what was that like for you? You know, first of all, when you say our combined kids, I immediately thought of Voltron and we should probably make that happen. <laughs> I, I can't decide which one gets to be the leg. <laughs> I guess you need two for a leg, right? right. Um, you know, well, I, I get this doesn't happen for everyone, but like the, I, the whole concept of fatherhood hit me immediately. And, I, and you said not necessarily from when they're an infant, but I mean, it really happened like immediately. You know, uh, I remember after everything had kind of quieted down in the hospital and the first thing I did was I went outside to call my parents. We were in, we lived in Seattle at the time and my parents lived in Arizona. So I, you know, stood out in this dark drizzle of a Seattle dawn, you know, 4am sort of thing, calling my parents to apologize because I just had no idea uh, that you could feel that way. And so that changed my perspective, like on a dime. Uh, but from there, my wife and I were both working in the restaurant industry at the time. And okay. we, set up our, our lives so that we were, one of us was always home. Okay. So uh, this was Atticus at the time, but then, uh, that, that was kind of our routine and it was a good one. It worked for us. But then after Zane was born, I had the opportunity to leave that job and to pursue you know, writing, uh, as it is as a career. <laughs> and so I, I, I think that being at home all of a sudden working at home, is when I really started to form my, my own parenting style and to, and to think about it. You know, it used to be this just, we're all kind of like moving parts in this machine. But once I was home, uh, a, lot, a large portion of parenting fell to me just because of the flexibility and convenience. And I realized um, you know, quickly that I wanted and would continue to be as hands-on in every aspect of, of everything, which is funny because now that they're a teen and a tween, uh, they're the ones who are deciding how hands-on I am. But. <laughs> like you may think you want to be hands-on. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so are there pieces of advice that you're able to glean from that to give to newer dads now or, or even to yourself as a new dad? Like if you could go back in time and kind of fast forward to where you are now and glean that knowledge. What we do would a lot you tell of time yourself? travel. We, don't. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we yeah. do. Sometimes I tell That's Megan. That's what this show is all about. Time time. <laughs> I didn't know there was a sci-fi element. This yeah. is fantastic. Uh, so for brand new dads, I, I would say just embrace it. You know, it's like you don't realize you don't realize how special things are in the moment because it may not feel special in the moment. You know, uh, you you could be covered in uh, any number of liquids coming out of your baby <laughs> it's like uh it can be it's easy to get frustrated and and to take it out on each other you know if you're in a situation where you have a uh, you know you and your partner are co-parenting uh and the thing is those are milestones that you may not recognize at the time but you, you can't revisit those right yeah so it's like uh change diapers and if you're using a bottle to feed take the graveyard shift and just as the kids get older, you know, hold hands, sing songs, talk about everything, which talking about everything then makes it easier to talk about everything, you know, now as yeah. our kids get older. Uh, well, but yeah, for no, myself, I, I was going to say, I, I, I'm sorry, but no, go ahead. In regards to if I could tell myself something. So my wife and I are pretty laid back. You know how uh, when people have their second kid, they're a lot more, 
you know, free about everything. Yeah. <laughs> we were like that with our first kid, which by the time Atticus was born, you would have assumed that we had like a dozen kids already. We were, <laughs> <laughs> we were pretty laid back. And yet I still, uh, I'm a worrier, you know, on my mother's side. And I worry about things that there's no way I could have any control over this. Like, yeah. mm. will they find happiness or, you know, uh, are they seeing something in me that's negatively going to affect their life as they get older? You know, I, I'd lay awake at night thinking about things that I just, I can't do anything about it. So if I could go back to myself, I would just say, you know, Hey, uh, get some sleep. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I want to comment on something that you said just recently, which was, the amount of time that you were able to log when your babies were little and, you know, with your, uh, the flexibility that came from working from home or being at home. And obviously not every family has that situation, but what I sort of took from that was you, you made it the norm to get in and do the everyday things that, um, are kind of boring and dirty, but over time, those add up to a relationship with your kid. And I think we started talking about stereotypes and kind of how we've come far. We have come far. But I think in some families where the disconnect is, is that dad may not be home as much, number one. And number two, mom sometimes has the ship running so tightly that dad may feel like he, there's not room to get in there and change diapers or be a part of the lunch packing or the everyday solutions. And that's, I think, I'm, I'm just encouraged to hear you talk because I think that's the, that's the opportunity I think all dads have probably regardless of work schedule, right? I mean, I'm sure you know families that maybe don't have a dad who's working from home and yet that dad is still able to be just right down in there in the details of managing a family. Oh, so, uh, for sure. And it's, it's kind of a, a broad brush to paint with, but I, I think that if you want to be involved you can find the ways to make that happen mm -hmm. uh, and every, everyone has a different schedule everyone has a different uh, family dynamic uh, but with 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 a, a few obvious exceptions that uh and someone may face in their life I, if you want to be involved be involved you know right. that means uh you, you take your kid to practice instead of watching the game or whatever it might be it's as, right. it's easy as that it's a decision that you make and sometimes I think it's the unglamorous work of especially the babies and the toddlers um, that if you don't practice getting in there and figuring out how to swaddle the baby or like how the picky eater likes their sandwich cut, um, it's harder to sort of insert yourself later on. And I don't think that necessarily has to do with a work schedule. It just has has to do with a, a desire to do it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about co-parenting, which I think is related. And I'm, I'm very curious in all your, since you've been doing this, I'm sure observations have come out about not just dads, but how moms and dads work together. So what are, what are the things you see in great co-parenting relationships, either your own or just that you've observed about how, you know, how we can sort of play to each other's strengths and support one another as, you know, co-parents. So I, I hope I don't sound like I'm being difficult or traumatic <laughs> because oh I, do that. I do that yeah get the shopping cart uh i i certainly believe that people parent differently because uh you know it's just that we're all individuals but over the years i've kind of conscious but also uh subconsciously i've, I've found myself moving away from thinking of things as that's what dads do or that's what moms do um because it 
I suppose it started because so many of the stereotypes that, that we were talking about, right? You know, they a lot of them uh, they're about gender roles, right? right. Mm. And and they're applying them to parenting, and that doesn't fit my experience, my right. my personal experience. So, for example, in in our family, I'm the emotional one, far more than my wife. You know, that's a that's a stereotype you would mm-hmm. hear uh, the, the the reverse of that. So I, I wear my heart on my sleeve constantly, and I don't hide that from the boys at all. In fact, I encourage it. You know, them to do the same. And uh, my wife, or another stereotype, she's the handy one. She's the one that puts in mm-hmm. the ceiling fans and builds all the IKEA everything's. <laughs> you know, so it's I think part of redefining masculinity for the better. Mm-hmm. You know, this modern version requires stepping back and seeing where it went wrong. Yeah. Uh, because you know, let's face it, it, it has, and a lot of that is rooted in these stereotypes of masculinity especially as it pertains to fatherhood. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. I hope that not getting too off the thing. So, so no, no, absolutely. well, it, it occurs yeah. to me that it actually swings both ways too, because by you stepping up in, in owning your personality, right. it allows your wife to be who she really is. And how many moms do we know, Sarah, that we yeah. hear from who really don't want to be the one who is doing maybe the domestic stuff or the stuff that's typically supposed or to be chaperoning field trips right the I mom both, role both hate to do but they yeah. feel like they're supposed to and maybe right. if if there was more room for everyone to just be who they are right um comfortably then everyone could just find who they are and and fill in the gaps um yeah and yeah. maybe that's at the root of my question about co-parenting bad question writing is no no is any, no 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 i mean i'm just giving myself a hard time but how do any two people figure out how to complement each other's strengths because you're right it isn't male or female or mom or dad but I know in our marriage, there's just certain things that are so I'm so glad that my husband has certain strengths so that I can let him shine in those areas. And you're right. It has nothing to do with gender. It's just like, oh, thank goodness we have a good balance with this because yeah. I'm not strong in this area. Exactly. I know, uh, or at least I think it's it's really about understanding, you know, the strengths and weaknesses in our partners as, as individuals, not necessarily right. as a parent. Right. And then also being able to recognize, and this is the hard part, and accept them in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, working together to kind of find the best path forward for everyone. Right. So yeah. Knowing when to zig, when they zag, and uh, being able to read a room. Yeah. So yep. I think it's when we try to be something we're not that things tend to go south. Well, yeah. And, and we hear from a lot of moms who want to do things the quote unquote right way. And maybe they've read the parenting books or they've mm. decided something is the right way. Um, and that I think is a, is a dangerous way to lose sight of you know, if you are a two parent household, you have two different humans who are able to set examples and lead and, you know, have relationships with the kids, which is a huge, which is great. Um, It doesn't have to be, I guess my point was if, if mom has decided that one way is the right way, the danger is that the other parent gets sort of left with what's left or, or left to follow along to something that's been prescribed instead of like you said, reading the room and figuring out how each parent can contribute. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole because uh, like you, I am, I'm a tangenter. So (laughs) is that a word tangenter? Um, But I just also want to just kind of almost as an aside, point out that like as a divorced mom, what I'm also realizing is that two people don't necessarily add up to 100% of what your kids need. (laughs) One person can't, but two people don't always either. And so, you know, there might be gaps in what, there's just always gaps. And that's why I think it's so important to have other people in your life as well 
who can fill in some of those gaps, whether it's, you know, mom and dad, maybe dad's emotional and mom's practical and that works out great. But what if mom and dad are both emotional? Then maybe, you know, it's like there's right. there's no, I guess, limit to the way you can lean on your tribe and, and yeah. pull in those resources around you. Um, one person can't do it all, but sometimes two can't do it all. That's not really what we were talking about, but I just that's felt perfect. compelled. And that's yeah. one say. of the oldest sayings uh, about parenting is that, you know, it takes a village and it's, yeah. it's, it's popular and, and still popular today for that reason. It's, it's right. very true. It's, right. it's just kind of finding your village. You know, uh, you don't necessarily have to give what you're given or take what you're given. Right. Exactly. Make Make your village. Make your village. Yeah. Well, I want to dig in with, because part of um, what we really wanted to talk about today was this talk early team that we're both part of and responsibility.org's data that they've been coming out with. And one of the things I really love about this organization is they're always, they're always studying and they're always trying to figure out, um, kind of take the pulse of how parents are interacting with their kids about these really tough conversations and where we can all do better speaking of a tribe. So it's not just on mom or it's not just on dad, but like all of us as a society can do better. So can you, can we dig into this data a little bit and what it, this recent data, what it shows um, specifically about dads, but really about moms and dads? Yeah, let's do it. I'll get my shovel. Okay. (laughs) So, okay. So I'm looking at at some of these um, numbers and I did think it was interesting that moms report speaking with their children um, about alcohol more with dads, but not that much more. So 86% Versus eighty percent. Did that surprise you? Uh, yeah, it's. I, I think, as you alluded to, and the numbers are really low for everyone. It's right. Very surprising to me. Yeah, and I'm also wondering if, you know, this is self-reporting, and and these are people who are recognizing that they're talking about these things. So sometimes I wonder if we're sharing messages without even knowing we're doing it. So we don't think we're talking about, but by not talking about something, we're talking about it. <laughs> Yeah, well, of course, leading by example, you know, and right, you may not be talking to your kid about uh, alcohol in this case, but you might be consuming alcohol in front of them in the way that you treat it in a way that, uh, you know, there are so many things that you're doing. They're always watching. Yeah, they're they're out there. They're always watching. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing I the other thing I gleaned from um, from some of this research and there was a, a takeaway from Dr. Deborah Gilboa who's a family physician and parenting expert. And I thought this was an awesome quote that can kind of, I don't know, sum up a lot of how these conversations happen. And it was parents don't have one 60 minute conversation with your kids, have 60 one minute conversations with your kids. I thought that was a brilliant way to sum up the importance of like ongoing talks. And what I was wondering if you can talk about if, if that's something that you found effective in the way you deal with your kids, instead of feeling like you have to sit down and have this heavy handed conversation, having many little light conversations that just naturally fit into your life. Certainly. Uh, I, I was, when I, when I read that from her, I, it was one of those aha moments, like, mm-hmm. you know, because everybody always, and it's not, there are several talks that parents need to have with kids. Sure. Nobody wants to have any of them. <laughs> and <laughs> Can we all just, can we acknowledge that no one wants to do this? Yeah, this is hard. That's why we're having a podcast about it. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, we're putting pressure on ourselves, right? Because we we build it up as this thing, you know, and I, and the kids pick up on that. Like, oh, this is going to be a big talk. And uh, to break it down like that, that is the most, it's like, why didn't I think of that? Uh, Right. And why didn't you coin that quote? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, To your point about the, uh, the examples, that's part of it as well. I mean, it's just, 
could be a word or two like uh you know you're you're leaving a party and and uh you're driving and instead of uh somebody else because they had a drink you know just kind of pointing yeah. that out and it's just little things but they all they all build together yeah, and they, like I'm gonna sentence. jump in here yeah. too because my kids are the youngest of our of our collected collective kids, and um, I think the earlier it's almost easier when you start earlier, and I'm sure what, there's some research on this too. But um, you know, my kids aren't like dreading conversations with me yet. They'll talk about anything. They're very like judgment free about what we're talking about. So. I actually think it's good. It's it's been good practice for me to bring up those tougher conversations as young as I feel comfortable in an age appropriate way, because I feel like it's giving me um, kind of like the practice for the harder. You know, mm. things are going to get harder and we're going to have to go into more detail and talk about more issues as they get older. But I'm all about like planting the seeds as as young as I can, including, you know, with my very young kids about alcohol. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't even have to be. Uh you know, serious conversation, right. I mean, just any conversation that uh, opens that door makes it a little easier later. Right. Yeah. Right. Specifically to dads, um, Wit, do you think that there is still some um, gendered stereotype around the way moms should talk to their kids versus dads or the conversations they should be having versus like, I'm, I could almost see it falling down. Like, well, we have boys, so you have to have the sex talk with the boys because you're the dad or, you know, like those kind of um, stereotypes. And I'm wondering if you've run across those or if, if you saw any of that in your writing for talk early. No, that's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There is so much of that. Right. And uh, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's, uh, Parents put it on themselves. Society puts it on us. And it's, yeah, that's, it's everywhere. So, you know, to back up a little bit, that's depending on your, your own parenting situation. I mean, if you have somebody who's like, I'll take that. Wonderful. I don't care. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who it <laughs> yeah. is. But at the same time, uh, it shouldn't be one person's responsibility uh, in a relationship to be, you know, it's like good cop, bad cop sort of thing. And you don't want right. to put your kids in a situation where, they always look to one parent as the, the wise one and the other one as, you know, uh, ATM or whatever it might be. Right. right. I'm curious, how has this how this has played out as your boys have gotten older? Um, have you been practicing what you preach in terms of lots of little conversations? Are you finding that conversations get easier as you are more, you know, move through parenting or is each new conversation sort of awkward and hard in its own special way? That's like my again, life. Again, everything's that's, fine, yeah. right? <laughs> right. That's the tagline of my life. Yeah. Awkward in its own special way. <laughs> uh, so I'm in this situation now because the boys are 11 and 14 that I'm on both sides of this conversation fence, right? Mm-hmm. Where uh, my youngest, Zane, won't ever shut up. Uh, you know, er, er, we're having conversations until he is asleep and then they start again. <laughs> uh, and then my 14 year old conversation is basically me asking a question and his. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so, so in terms of, for me, it's easier to talk to, uh, the, the 14 year old in terms of content. I, I'm more comfortable because I feel that at 14, uh, you know, he, he gets to watch shows with me that the younger one doesn't and right. things like that. So I, I think that he's in a place where he could have some, some better context, but at the same time, it's really a process to get him to participate on his end. I know that he's listening. I know mm-hmm. that he gets it. He's a good kid. You know, I, uh, I, I get that, but I sure would love some sort of confirmation 
that he is receiving. <laughs> what receiving the signal. Yeah. Well, exactly. Whit, I have to tell you, <laughs> my quiet one is 18 now, and, and you might never get it directly. <laughs> But I was, I, yeah. Megan, I was going to prompt you to weigh in because Megan has four <laughs> boys in a row, three of whom are into teenage years. So I was, yeah. I was curious if you have seen like variants, Megan, uh, in, the, well, in the way they receive conversations. My 20 year old was the one who would talk me until he fell asleep. And he's still like that. He will still say whatever's on his mind. And I always knew what was happening with him. And my 18 year old is the one who just he's just flies under the radar. He's just. He's that kid who he's reserved is the word I would use for him. So um, he'll tell me stuff if I if it, if I really need to know it. But it takes a long. I've actually found that emailing works really well with him. Right. He will well, yeah, send that, me long emails. Yeah. Exactly. But, um, yeah. I, I, so four of them. I, I, yeah. You're seeing all yeah. kinds of stuff. Yes, exactly. So I think for me and I, I discovered that kind of by accident. I don't even remember how I figured out the email thing. I think. Maybe he was in bed one night and I really wanted to talk to him about something and he had been kind of avoiding me and I just sent him an email and then he responded with like a novel. It, Interesting. And I thought, well, yeah. goodness, <laughs> where's, well, that, all, where's all these thoughts been that all this time? So that's yeah. a great uh, idea because we just assume that when we say talk, we mean, you know, with our mouths. Mouths. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, what I'll see, uh, the youngest isn't really on social media yet and the oldest is kind of barely on it but he'll he'll like something you know i'll share uh, a talk early graphic on the dads for change instagram page and he'll like it i'm like oh i'm really getting through to him yeah. right <laughs> that little We're heart bonding. that little heart means so much right it really does though i mean that it's we're living in a world or in an age now where that really does mean something i mean that's acknowledgement and public I, acknowledgement from your kids and so. i think it, it's easy to forget that we've had decades of learning how to be in a conversation, yeah. how to how to engage in a two way relationship. And they are still learning. So right. hopefully that's some kind of hope that, like you said, Wit, it's an indicator that it's sinking in, even if grunting is the reply. <laughs> right. I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. Um, well, this has been amazing. I feel like we could keep talking for hours but um wait before we before we wrap up is there anything anything any other encouragement you would give to moms and dads about having tough conversations with their kids about alcohol about anything is it is it a just do it thing or what how can we encourage parents to to just start to have these conversations they could listen to this podcast yeah that's a good start well if they're here they've already done that <laughs> so they're, they're on their way check right. uh yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think it's uh, kind of building as you go uh, rather than having this date circled on the calendar for, okay, uh, on this day, we're going to have that talk, you know, right, just, right. just get it going, you know, and, and I know for myself, uh, and I assume for all of us, and there's always room for improvement. I don't think any mm. of us are trying to pretend that we have uh, all the answers or we're doing it perfectly, you know, but at the end of the day, what is parenting, if not making the world a little better? Right. So, yeah, if you can do that through a, a little bit at a time uh, rather than uh, all at once, go for it. I love Flex that. those muscles. I love, I love it. that. And, and that it, there's no one right way to do it. Right. Our kids mm. are they don't know. They only have one set of parents in most cases or a, a small group of adults who are shepherding them. So to them, they're not comparing your alcohol talk to like the kid down the blocks, you know, <laughs> right. so there's no there's no rating. 
<laughs> not, it's not a five star yeah. system yet. Um, so on Yelp. They'll yeah. find it. There, someone's going to have an app. They're going to find a way. Terrible, <laughs> terrible alcohol awareness talk. One star. <laughs> no, but they. So for that reason, I feel like we can just just do our best. There's no one it. right way. Yeah, it's better to say something and maybe mess it up a little bit than to say nothing and Definitely. miss the opportunity entirely. Yeah. So I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, Whit, thank you so much for being here. And our listeners can head to the show notes at themomhour.com and we will um, link to some of Whit's writing for Talk Early and um, all the great work that he's doing. So you can go find him and follow him. And this was fun. Yeah. Thanks so and much. Thank you to responsibility.org for sponsoring this episode as well. And they've got lots of great uh, resources on the site that you can check out. Um, and if you follow that Talk Early hashtag yeah. on pretty much any social media, you'll also find some great discussion about all of the stuff that we talked about today. And and more. All right. Thanks, everybody. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction. And Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E R I K A dot A P P, and use code the mom hour to save 20%. Megan, you know what I love about our partner, the Essential Calendar? I love the product so much, of course, but I also love that it comes from a small business founded by two moms. Right, just like us. Listeners, if you're drowning in details right now, like summer camps, travel plans, end of school year mayhem, give yourself the gift of the Essential Calendar, a seasonal at-a-glance poster-sized calendar for your wall. Get 10% off your order at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour. That's 10% off at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour.